Super. So I got back from holiday yesterday, and uh, I've preached four times today. This is the fourth sermon. The first two were on death and dying. So, you know, um, Bixley Farm is our second anniversary of having planted a church at Bixley Farm. All right, it's been great. Um, and my, my sermon there was basically, yeah, well done for making it for two years, but uh, if you think it's been hard so far, you ain't seen nothing yet. Years three to five are the really tough ones. Uh, and tonight, we're into Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, and we're hoping to be through this um, in time for Advent and the run-up to, to, to Christmas. Uh, that's the plan, that's the plan at this stage. So, Galatians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, right, let's stop there, okay, because apostle, not a word that we use very often uh, today, uh, and, and it's just worth stopping. You know, there's a, it's, uh, well, many years ago, I used to listen to Radio 4 when I was pretending to be mature, and then I realized I wasn't, so I stopped. But, you know, you listen to the finance bit before the news, right, uh, or just after the news, and they do a little financial report thing. And, you know, after you've been listening to it for a few weeks, the, the, some of the terms start to sound familiar, and you can begin to think you know what's going on. And actually, you have no idea. But it's kind of, there's something familiar about it, and you sort of just go, oh, yeah, okay. And I think it would be a bit like that with words in the Bible sometimes, is we hear words often enough, and we just begin to assume that we know what, what they mean. Well, apostle, uh, Paul actually tells us what he means by using the word apostle. It's, it's, a, it's a word that's translated from a Greek word, and it just means sent, somebody who is sent. Uh, so Paul's Paul an apostle, sent, not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. All right, so Jesus, you think about it in the Bible, Jesus is sent. He is the sent one. He is the apostle, the one who is sent by the Father. How often in John's Gospel do we hear Jesus talk about himself as the one who's been sent by the Father? But then Jesus sends the apostles. He sends the apostles. Um, and probably the best equivalent that we have in modern kind of jargon, contemporary English, uh, the, the, the word that probably most closely connects with the idea of what an apostle is would be an ambassador. An ambassador, someone who is sent in an official capacity. That's important, okay? They are sent in an official capacity to represent someone else, to represent a government. And in that capacity of being sent by them, they have the authority to speak and to act on behalf of the one who has sent them. Right? That, and that, that is, a, that's apostle. Alright? Apostle is somebody sent by the Lord and, and who, who has authority to speak on behalf of the Lord. And that, see, it's so important. Paul starts here because not, not just the fact that he's sent, but it's who he is sent by. And this is so important. He's sent not by, not from men, not by a man. All right, so, so Paul, you know, didn't go to see his career advisor at school 
And I was like, well, you know, Paul, the, you know, I, I, think, I think apostleship is probably the career option you want to look at. So, you know, here are the GCSEs you should take. That's not what happened. Paul didn't do like, you know, a Myers-Briggs personality test. And it came out, ah, oh, right, yes, I'm an apostle. You know, that, that fits. All right, that, that's not what's going on at all uh, with the apostle Paul. He's not sent. He's not sent by, by any human agency. He's not sent by a church or by a mission team even. He is sent. He is called and he is sent to officially represent and to speak and to act on behalf of Jesus Christ and God the Father. As we read through the Bible, um, we actually know quite a bit about this guy, Paul. Um, if, you've, if you've been around church at all, uh, if you've read through the New Testament, if you've read the book of Acts, you've read Paul's letters, you'll know that when we first meet Paul, um, he, he's an absolute psychopath. You know, that's not a word you'll often hear uh, used to describe, but that is what he, he was. We first meet Paul when he is overseeing the martyrdom of Stephen. And he's on his way, uh, and he goes from there. He launches into this, uh, it's a mission, really, to, to persecute, to destroy the church. And let's not be romantic about what that meant. You know, like Paul dragged, he says himself, he dragged uh, men and women from their homes and put them in prison, and did everything he could to seek them to deny their, to, to get them to deny their faith. All right, now, we know something through our uh, relationship with Open Doors, uh, particularly we know something of what Christians today endure in contexts of persecution. That's what Paul was doing to Christians in the first century. He was a torturer. And a murderer. And he was on his way to Damascus to extend this campaign of torture and murder and persecution. And on his way to Damascus, you know, en route to doing all he can to destroy the church in Damascus, the Lord Jesus the risen and ascended and glorified Lord Jesus basically encounters Paul. That's a bit of an understatement, really. But he reveals himself to the Apostle Paul in a, in a physical, physical way. Paul looks on the glory of the ascended Jesus with his own eyes. And I think that's quite interesting because actually... We know even from later on in the book of Galatians that Paul's eyes never recover from that. Paul is, is, is plagued by deteriorating eyesight throughout the rest of his life. But Paul is confronted by Jesus. And this was something that Jesus had been planning to do since before Paul 
was born. You know, don't, don't, don't be sitting thinking, well, you know, Jesus is there going, all right, um, I need an apostle. Uh, let me just have a look around and see if I can find an appropriate candidate. No. No. Jesus, before Paul was even born, Jesus had already decided and planned and foreordained Paul's role in the life of the church. And Paul capitulates. Utterly capitulates, which, you know, it's not really, it's not surprising at all when you think about the enormity of what's actually happening there. And Jesus takes him and turns him, through his grace, turns him from being this persecuting, psychopathic, torturing murderer into being someone who will be sent to officially represent the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father throughout the nations of the world. And I want to just be really clear about this. Paul was was a good apostle. Alright? You know, not not because he was a brilliant individual, although I think he probably was, but it was because he was chosen by the Lord Jesus, because he was sent by Jesus and God the Father, and because... In sending him, God anoints Paul with his Holy Spirit. And so we hear Paul saying things like this. When Paul's talking about what he teaches, he says, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. We're explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Paul is faithful in discharging his office because he is discharging his office under the influence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Alright? And and Paul's not making up stuff up. You know, he is is representing Jesus well. Uh, Next week in Galatians, when we come back to Galatians 1, he says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Alright, so both in its origins, both in Paul's understanding of what Jesus has revealed, and in Paul's passing that on into the life of the church, Paul is completely faithful, completely trustworthy, and does exactly what it is that Jesus has sent him to do. So it's no surprise at all that Paul, when Paul speaks into the church at Galatia, he's, he's speaking on behalf of and in harmony with and in a way that resonates with the whole church. All right, Paul isn't some maverick who's just out on his own doing his own thing. When he's speaking, now, he's writing this letter to Galatia, and, I, and he said, look, what I'm saying here is representative of what the whole church is believing. And in case there is any doubt... That, what, that Paul is doing a good job in being an apostle, in being a representative. If there's any suspicion that somehow he might be misrepresenting Jesus, or he might have got the gospel confused, or, or he might be in some way misleading the church, all right, Jesus himself vindicates Paul's ministry. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells him, he says, Look, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs 
wonders and miracles. Right? It's as if Jesus is saying, look, Paul, Paul really does come to you under my authority. And I am vindicating what he is teaching. I am authenticating what he is teaching. Trust him. Believe him. He is speaking and he is acting on behalf of me. And he is doing it well. And he is doing it faithfully. And he is doing it with integrity and with authenticity. Right? It's not like, you know, sometimes, if, I don't know if you've ever been in the position of employing somebody. And uh, you get this application for men. And it's amazing. Like, this is just the person we're looking for. And you get them in for interview. And they do brilliantly in the interview. And then you appoint them. And it's a disaster. You know, and it's just like they look great on paper, but somehow they just don't quite fit the organization. They don't quite do the job that you hope they would do. It's not like that. It's not like Paul, Paul looked great on paper and he, he was, uh, you know, he, he interviewed well, but he just doesn't quite get the job done properly. No! All right, Paul has been chosen. He's been prepared. He's been commissioned. He has been sent by the Father and by Jesus Christ. And he's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he's been vindicated by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is lining up behind Paul and saying, listen to this guy. All right, this guy is faithfully representing the truth of the gospel. Now, why am I laboring this? Well, because of something Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. If we reject Paul's teaching, right, we are rejecting the Jesus who sent him. All right, Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus was training some other apostles, he said this, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. All right, we need to welcome the Apostle Paul. And we need to trust him and we need to listen to him. Okay, because in doing so, we are welcoming the God who commissioned him, called him, sent him, vindicates him. Now, I feel like I need to say that because Paul gets a lot of bad press, even amongst Christians. He says a lot of things we don't like. He says a lot of things that don't fit well with our culture. He says a lot of things that are difficult and controversial. And before we get into Galatians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he was faithfully discharging his call as an apostle, acting on behalf of, representing, speaking on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I just want us to be very, very clear that this is not somehow a second-rate part of the Bible that we can sit back and go, well, you know, I'll, I'll hear what Paul says here, but I won't listen to him on, on, on this because I, I don't like it. Now, I, don't, I don't know if you've got a red-letter Bible in front of you. In red-letter Bibles where the, the words of Jesus are in red, and the rest of the Bibles in, in, in black print. I, if you have one, Bennett, honestly, it's, it, it's, it's just <laughs> really terrible. Partly because they miss loads of the things that Jesus says. But actually, the whole idea that somehow, you know, it's like, okay, here we've got the words of Jesus, and that's really what we need to listen to. 
And the words of somebody like Paul, well, you know, that, that somehow that's a that's a, 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 a lower a lower standard of scripture. No, no, okay. Paul is speaking the words that are given to him by the Holy Spirit. And and he's he's warning the church at Galatians because he's going to say some hard things to the church at Galatia, and he is warning them, don't reject me. Do not disregard what I am saying. Because if you disregard me, if you reject me, if you disagree with me, then you are disregarding, you are rejecting, you are disagreeing with Jesus. And as a pastor, let me just say, generally speaking, that's not a good place to find yourself. I think that's why Paul includes this in his little opening salvo. He talks about being sent by Jesus Christ and by God the Father. And he makes the point, who raised Jesus from the dead. You see, Paul knows that he is at risk of being rejected by this church. And he just wants to remind them, you know, we rejected Jesus once before. When he came. And lived amongst us and taught us and ministered to us and healed our sick and cast out the demons. And we rejected him in the most emphatic way possible. The most total rejection that we can visit on any human being. We crucified him. But God the Father overturned. The verdict vindicated Jesus and raised him from the dead. Paul is saying, just let's not make that mistake again. Let's not reject Jesus. It's not that Paul's coming and saying, okay, guys, listen, um, you know, here's, here's a perspective. Here's an angle on what's going on in your church. You know, take that away. Have a think about it. Critically engage with it. If it's helpful, great. If it isn't, leave it. No, that's not the atmosphere of Paul's writing as an apostle. Paul's coming and saying, look, I am acting on behalf of, I am speaking on behalf of Jesus. I am doing so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you reject me, you reject the living God. That's what's at stake as we come into any of Paul, any of the apostolic letters. And it's what we come, it's the issue that is at stake as we come into the book of Galatians. Which is partly why I think it's, it's so amazing, isn't it? It's so amazing that with all that in the background, the first words out of Paul's mouth are grace, and peace. The first thing that Paul wants to hold back up in front of the Galatian Christians is, is God's grace. Now Paul knows that because, you know, it was Paul did nothing to contribute to his own experience of becoming a Christian. Nothing at all. He wasn't seeking, he wasn't going to an alpha course or anything like that. And he was going, he was on his way to kill, torture, murder, imprison 
to destroy the church. And yet Jesus broke in. Jesus takes this, this extraordinary initiative in the life of Paul. And at a point where Paul is not in any sense looking for salvation. He's not looking. He, he totally thinks he's already on God's side. And yet Jesus shatters that. He breaks into that. He comes in grace, taking the initiative when Paul had done nothing to merit it, nothing to deserve it. And on the basis of that grace, makes peace between, between God and the Apostle Paul. And he did that because Jesus, or Jesus had given himself for our sins. You know, that, this is what the gospel is about, right? It is about being saved from our sins, from God's anger against our sins, from God's condemnation of our sins. We're being saved from this present evil age. See, we, we have all these things that we want God, you know, to come and deal with. Right? There's all this stuff that's wrong with our world. And we're like, oh, if I was God, I would sort out this and I would deal with that and I would, I would resolve this problem. But actually, when God actually does come into the world, He comes and He deals with the problem that is the foundation of every problem. The problem of our sin. And He comes to rescue people from this evil age. And the reason this age is evil, you know, it wasn't evil when God created it. When God created it, He looked at it and He went, this is good. Right? It became evil when we became evil. It became evil because of our sin. And when God comes to act towards us in grace, when God comes to reconcile us to Himself and to make peace, He does it by dealing with that foundational problem, the sin that is in us, the evil that is in us, and the evil that is outside of us. And He sets us apart, redeems us, rescues us from it, so that we are no longer defined by our identity is no longer that we are a part of that evil age. You know, we're not trapped by this evil world, defined and determined by it, living the whole experience of our life trapped within the horizons of this present evil age. No, no, no. We have been set free. That's a big idea in the book of Galatians. We have been freed from sin, freed from this present evil age so that we can become the men and women that God created us to be, so that we can become the community God created us to be, so that we, are, we, we, can, we can model something so radically different from anything that can be found anywhere else in this world that this world cannot even understand what it sees in us, let alone imitate it or aspire to it. Right? Look at the difference that, that the gospel made in the life of Paul. Look at the transformation that happened in Paul's life. 
That's the sort of thing God wants to do in us. We are not helpless victims. We have been set free from sin, free from this present evil age. Free to become what God has called us to be. And Paul is staggered. He's astonished. He's utterly bewildered by the fact that anybody having tasted that, having experienced something of that, would then turn away from it and say, you know what, I want to go back into a world where I am trapped by sin, defined by sin, and where my destiny becomes interwoven again with the destiny of this present evil age. Paul is like, why would you do that? I'm astonished that you are so quickly turning away from, well, from what? Verse 6. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. You see, the gospel, this message of how Jesus died to, to save us from our sins and to free us from this world, this gospel is where we meet God. This gospel, this message and our understanding this message and our ability to make sense of this message, that is the means through which we are in relationship with God. And you see, that's why changing the message is so dangerous. Because when you change the message, you change the spiritual realities that you are living. See, we have this idea that, well, you know, it, it doesn't really matter necessarily what, what you believe. Because we're all, we all, we're all ending up worshipping the same God anyway. Well, we're going to see in Galatians that that is simply not what Paul teaches. For Paul, it matters hugely what you believe. Because if you believe the wrong things, you end up worshipping. Worshipping beings who by their nature are not God. Now Paul's astonished, but he does sort of give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, they're quite young Christians, and it's probable that what they're doing is not malicious, they're not being deliberately stubborn. They're not, they're not intentionally, as it were, setting out to rebel against God. So Paul will give them the benefit of the doubt. He, he can imagine that as young, immature Christians, they lack discernment, and it, he can see how they could be hoodwinked and led astray. And, and when he writes to them in chapter 1, verse 6, it's present tense, you know, they're making a bad decision, but... The decision is still in process, and, and Paul's basic attitude is, look, I'll lay out for you the reality of what's going on here, and you can make a different decision, and, and we can all live happily ever after. That's fine. But when it comes to the teachers, when it comes to those who are proclaiming this false gospel, there is no benefit of the doubt. There's no generosity of spirit. There's no trying to understand what's going on. 
He is just, I just think he's plain angry. And what he says is really, is really quite disturbing, I think, for us to hear. But Paul says, and, and notice he puts himself under this as well. He says, look, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Or some of the older translations talk about let them be eternally condemned. Now, that's feisty language. You know? Paul's going to talk later about how Jesus has redeemed us precisely from being under God's curse. So when Paul, when Paul says, let them be under God's curse, Paul is talking about putting people back, as it were, into a present evil age where they are enslaved by sin, where they are worshipping that which by nature is not God's, and where they share the destiny of a creation that will be eternally condemned. Let's just, we'll come back to this as the series goes on. But you know, when we look at a passage like Romans, Romans 14, um, we'll see that there are things, um, the, you know, things, things like uh, whether you consider one day to be sacred or, or not, what you eat. There are things where there is some scope for disagreement amongst Christians. What we see in Galatians is that you don't mess with the gospel. There is no scope for disagreement. You mess with this core, this core of the message of what God has done for us in Christ, in His death and in His resurrection. You mess with that. And you don't get to come back and have a second shot at it. Remember, Paul's talking to teachers. You see, there is only one pure, true gospel. You change it, and it's no longer pure, and it's no longer true. There's a, a phrase that's kind of um, becoming quite trendy to you. People, people calling, um, calling each other snowflakes. Have you come across this? All right, yeah. So the idea is, you, you know, you might look good, but you're pretty fragile. And as soon as the heat gets turned up, you melt. And you, oh, you know, don't, don't, don't pick on me. And, 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 and there is a danger, I think, of sort of a kind of snowflake Christianity. It just is like, uh, you know, oh, God loves everyone, and, and we love everyone, and, and, and you know, God's always gracious, and we should always be gracious, and, and God would never hurt anyone, and we should never hurt anyone. And, and that's just not the Christianity of the Bible. Galatians 1 is not Paul being, oh, let's just be, let's just, everybody just, let's just if only we could just love each other. That's not what Paul's saying. puts himself under the same curse. If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Do you see how important it is that we grasp the fact that Paul is faithfully and fully teaching the gospel of Christ? 
See, we live in a world where one of the great virtues is, is tolerance. Where we all have our different perspectives and that's, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion and, and everybody, everybody's contribution has to be seen as legitimate and there is such a thing in the Bible as godly intolerance. There are times in the Bible when we are shown that we have to fight. We have to confront. We have to condemn. We have to refuse to accept something that even even people who call themselves Christians teach. Because that's what's going on at Galatia. People who are styling themselves as Christians are teaching something. And Paul is saying, no. No, it's not. Don't, you know, it's driven by a heart of compassion and love. But it is driven nonetheless. Now, I, I know it can seem somehow unchristian to get into a fight about what we believe. That seems very medieval. You know, that's what they did in the Inquisition, and that didn't go well. No. All right? The gospel matters too much for us not to be prepared to fight for it. Actually, Paul is being loving as he confronts the error of the Galatian teachers. You see, bad theology hurts people. And in attacking bad theology, Paul is protecting the church. That is love. Now, this is particular relevance for us is in the denomination that we are a part of. The working assumption throughout the Church of England is that is that everyone everyone has something to offer. And that we should learn from all the different traditions and different perspectives that are held together in this broad spectrum of belief that uh, is, is somehow encaptured within the church, church of England. And that, that we need to recognize the legitimacy of everyone's claim to be Christians, even, even those who reject key ideas from the gospel. The idea that God has revealed himself with absolute clarity. The idea that we can have confidence, that we can know who God is and what God has done in Christ. That that idea is, is <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised how rare it is to find people who believe that. Certainly Paul's 
position seems to be that God has revealed himself so clearly and so unambiguously that it would be foolish and dangerous for the church to ignore what he is saying and to develop a different set of ideas about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done or not done. You see, what's at stake here is not just the health of a particular church. It's not just the destiny of a handful of believers in what we would now call Turkey. See, the problem is, if we start messing about with the gospel, adding stuff to it or taking stuff away from it, it's not just that we suffer. But what's at stake is the salvation of the world. See, when the church loses the gospel, the church can't proclaim the gospel. If we can't proclaim the gospel, then people are not going to be saved, rescued from this present evil. Imagine, imagine an epidemic. It's breaking out all over the world. It's killing people. It's contagious. It's spreading like wildfire. And it seems like nobody can do anything to stop it. And then a scientist somewhere comes up with a vaccine. And anywhere in the world, this vaccine is the only thing that has been shown to heal those who are suffering from this epidemic. And then somebody who's a bit of a, a, bit of a cowboy realizes they can make a lot of money from this situation. And so they, they, they get, get something that, that, that's got all the same packaging, but it's a placebo. It's just like chalk dust or something. Now, would it be a loving thing to do to sit down with said cowboy and swap notes? No. Because you see, you've got the vaccine. You can actually save people's lives. But this charlatan is doing is only going to make matters worse. Because people will think they're safe when they're not. In a situation like that, it would be a dereliction of duty to not do everything you could to warn people of what this guy is doing. You see, the gospel, the gospel is the place where God meets with us and redeems us and changes us. And somebody comes along with something that might look and sound very similar, but actually, do you know what? It's not the gospel. Then it is powerless to heal. It is powerless to redeem. It is powerless to reconcile us to God. You see, for Paul, it is the gospel or it is nothing. 
It is nothing. If you, if you start to believe a different gospel, then you end up relating to a different God. Paul's going to make this point later in Galatians when he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. All right? By nature, they are not gods. Now, we'll come back and think about what they are then uh, later in the series. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? See, this isn't about freedom of thought. This is about whether you are saved or not. This is about whether you are reconciled and in relationship with God or not. Now look, we might find this difficult, and we might find this offensive, and we'll work at that throughout the series. But you see, the thing about Paul is, he's, he doesn't care. I'm going to say he doesn't care. But he kind of doesn't care. Like, am I trying to win the approval of human beings? Or of God? See, for Paul, that's the issue. Am I trying to please people? Well, if, and, and listen to this. See, Paul, Paul sees these two things as, as mutually exclusive. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, Paul isn't working for the popular preacher of the year award. Paul isn't out looking for applause and for acclaim. Paul is working to rescue people from eternal condemnation. And as we go through Galatians, we'll find that he has suffered persecution himself now. That he, has, he, he, he bears the scars of physical violence against him. Okay. But he will stand by this gospel, whatever anyone says of him, whatever anyone does to him, however anyone judges him. Because for Paul, you lead people away from this gospel, you lead them from life into death. You lead them away from grace and into condemnation. You lead them away from freedom and into slavery. Paul simply says, I will fight you the whole way if you do that. I'm not going to stand back and watch you hurt the church I love. I'm not here to win popularity contests. I'm an apostle of Christ. And I live to please Him and not anyone We so crave the approval and the applause of others. But we are tempted to, to change the gospel ourselves. Just to stay quiet on some stuff that we know will cause problems. Paul resists that temptation. Why? Why? Because he understands that the gospel is about reality. It's not about spiritual theories. It's not about philosophical discussion. It's not about theological speculation or, or religious hypotheses or different people's insights. No. The gospel is the truth. It is reality. 
and it has been revealed.